Well, I was going. I'm not going to start a series tonight, but I have a series that I'm I'm scheduled to start on uh, the local church, which I will do uh, in November. But um, I want to tonight just continue on the QA track, uh, and then we'll see where we go from there. Um, so, uh, opening up the floor, I do have something before me, but I've got a couple things actually. Um, uh, one is very timely for me, um, but it wasn't really a public question, so I'm going to hold it um, in case I need it later. But uh, it's more of a private question, but I can bring it into the public. I just won't say who it came from. All right, so um, is there any questions on the table? Been reading, been studying, been looking at something and wondering, what doth thou meanest by this? <laughs> and uh, okay, well, we'll go home early. So praise the Lord. Yeah, all right. Yes, Jamie D. Oh, nope. Halt. All right, let's. Uh, hey, John, can you do me a favor? And go roll out in the hallway, roll that whiteboard in. Thanks, bro. So this is this is about uh let me see if I can find it here. It's in the Book of Mormon. I just kidding. No. Uh this is Genesis. Oh, good. And I believe it's about uh, it's it's about Noah. It's right after the ark comes to rest, and they uh, they get ready to come out, and it's talking about it was the six hundredth year. Uh, I say it again. Uh, it's 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 either seven or eight. That's what I was looking now. I think it's I think it's in chapter eight. If I was over there helping you, I would. I'm trying to figure out how to flip this thing. It's <laughs> as simple as doing that. All right. Here we go. So we're in Genesis chapter seven. I think it's I think it's in chapter eight. Okay, it's uh, chapter eight, verse thirteen. And it says, and it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. I'm sorry, wait, what, where are you at? Uh, Genesis chapter 8, KJV. Uh Uh-huh. Genesis chapter 8, verse 13. That's where I was at. Okay, I see it now. Okay. And it just says that, it, and it came to pass in the 600th year. And my question is, is that talking about Noah's age? Because it can't be the 600th year from everybody that's already passed, like Methuselah and all of that. I'm just looking back here. Um, so, yeah, Noah lived to be 700. Uh, I forget his exact age. 777. Is it 777? I get him and Methuselah. Methuselah was... Yeah. 
Somebody lived 777 years. Was he 800 years? That would make sense since it's a new beginning. 950 years? Yep. 929. And all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. There you go. <clears throat> so um, he lived. Yeah. So you, you see, well, that actually is, if you go to there in Genesis chapter 9, uh, in verse 28, it says, Noah lived after the flood 350 years, right? So he was 950, so it would have been 600 and something. Right, whenever. so if you take 350, uh, you know, that puts you at 600 years. Yeah. So that gives you a time frame. And, and it came to pass the 600th and first year, so one year in the first month, one month and first day of the month. So it was one year, one month, and one day. <clears throat> the waters were dried up off the earth. So it was 601, 601st year of his life. So you have okay. that right. So yep. it is of Noah. Yeah, so you would, your cross-reference, though, to, to pick up the timeline, um, and if I, if I had my other Bible, it's probably laid out in the reference margin. So uh, it's going to be found over in, in Genesis 9, uh, 28 through 29. Thank you, Caleb, for uh, giving us that reference. Thank you, sir. So that's a good question. That's probably also a record uh, time answer for us here. This is the fastest question I've ever seen answered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no. Uh, <laughs> there probably is some deep, dark doctrinal significance that I, I'm not touching on, but I don't know right now what it is. So praise the Lord. <clears throat> so Jamie, you hold the record for the fastest. You do <laughs> question and answer that we've ever had at HBF, at least under my, under under me. That's good though, because uh, that is good to to kind of sort that out. <clears throat> and um, so thank you for Ron and Caleb as well for the help with the cross-references. So Noah lived <clears throat> after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were, this is a chapter 9 and verse 28, were <clears throat> 950 years and he died. So if you ever, uh, I highly recommend getting a, <clears throat> I got a wall chart. Um, it lists out all the lineage uh, based off of Usher's chronology. Uh, and I also have a, there's, they also make this chart that I got on the wall. I got a wall chart at home that's more of a circular <clears throat> uh, systematic timeline. And it's amazing when you look at, uh, you know, Noah, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, how long they lived. Uh, you know, and so, you know, the, you get into the issue of who is Methuselah. Um, there's a really strong case that can be made that that was Shem. Um, or people will argue that it's not Shem, so I don't want to get into that argument tonight. But the point is is that Shem would have been alive up at that time of Abraham. So <clears throat> there's a lot of access to people who were, you know, you know, the, the issue of the flood was, that's why every people group has a, a flood account. The Hindus have one. Uh, everywhere you go around the world, the flood account is, is normal, is, is common in every culture because it, it was a historical factoid. And, and people first, I hand first-hand witnesses were living for hundreds and hundreds of years after the flood to confirm that. Uh, just like Adam. When you look at Adam, lived 930 years. <clears throat> you know, well, that's half of the time before the flood. So 50% of the time before the flood. I mean, you got half the time between the flood and Noah. Uh, half of that time, Adam was 
like in person. You could go up and ask him, so how was this? How did it go down in the garden? You know, and uh, you could get a firsthand uh, account uh, of that. And then you have Methuselah who lived, uh, who died right before the flood, who who personally knew Adam, right? And so you have that that you know secondhand information, and it's it's amazing when you look at those uh, lineages. And so many people don't believe those are literal years. Now, I would submit to you they are literal years, just as we measure them today, <clears throat> except on, instead of a 365-day calendar, they would be based on a 360-day calendar. Um, uh, but other than that, yeah, they are literal years, and they were really that old. And I was just in my daily reading looking at Abraham, you know, and how old he was, like 190 years old, um, <clears throat> when he died or were thereabouts. And, you know, just thinking how old that would seem to us today. You know, at 90 years old, we're getting pretty pretty frail, you know. I was just visiting with Ruth or with Reed Sparks today, you know, and she's doing great. Um, but once you get in your 90s, things slow down quite significantly. To live 190 years, man, that would be kind of a... You'd see a lot of tragedy. You'd see a lot of human interactions. You'd been there, done that. You bought a lot of T-shirts by that. Your closet's full of T-shirts. <laughs> and uh, there's not a whole lot of new things under the sun, as Solomon says. So, you know, there'd be a, a lot of wisdom and sorrow. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. And so sitting around watching people make the same mistakes over and over would be... It'd be painful <clears throat> probably to live 900 years, especially. Uh, especially, you know, Adam, man. Can you imagine daily living you know, for 930 years and, and seeing the results of your sin, what impact it had on humanity. Uh, that would be, that'd be rough. Um, and so anyway, that's kind of off. My, I, I stretched it out another five minutes, but anyway, that's good. All right. Yes, Pam. Yes, Pam. Was this a separate question or same line? Let me, let's get that on the, on the microphone. You're you going to run that, Jamie? Thanks. Jamie's going to run that. <clears throat> We have the cameras on, so if anybody is watching online, they will they want to pick up the comment. So, on a side note, I think there were only three generations between Adam. We're talking about you know longevity. Yep. Between Adam and Noah. Noah. Yes. Only three generations. Yep. And so it's, it's uh, Adam, Methuselah, and Noah. Yeah. Three generations. Which for us stretch can stretch, you know, 150 years maybe today. You know, you can get 150 years out of three generations if they're timed, you know, in their 20s and they live to 70s or 80s. You know, you you can get a little past that. But yeah, it's that's you're talking two millennia, almost a third. I mean, almost two and a half when you and count Noah. I mean, he's going up 300 years into the next one. So, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So it was about, um, you know, Usher's chronology. Everybody, uh, Archbishop Usher, I think, is was who he was. We base our timeline uh, on his chronology. Steve Miller, uh, he's a pastor in Texas. He has his own chronology that he's put together. It's it's close to the four thousand year mark. Four thousand four BC is what is typically counted as a as the time of creation, <clears throat> and. Uh, uh, or the time of the of of the uh, of the recreation, and so um, of the of uh, you know God forming Adam in the garden, and I do think Adam was tempted in the garden soon after his appearance there. I don't think it was millennia that went by, or hundreds of years, or even weeks. Probably is really I think very quick. 
but nonetheless, all that aside, the um, um, that 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 time frame then would put you about two thousand years. Um, uh, in my other Bible, I actually have the date written down: two thousand years. Four thousand four BC is when the um, the first, you know, when Adam was was uh, created, and uh, and then as the timeline starts, you're almost two thousand years up into human history before you have the flood, and so uh, that's you know that's so a lot of time was ate up then. So yes, sir. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, and it would be off of Usher's chronology, 2446 B.C., yep. <clears throat> and uh, and so that puts you, yeah, in round numbers it's a couple thousand, but that's 2446, and then that that gives you a couple thousand more years <clears throat> to the cross and then a couple thousand more years, and <clears throat> the sixth day will uh, begin the millennium. The seventh day will begin, obviously, that last millennial day. That's a whole other Bible study in itself, but... Uh, the human history lays out in just like weeks, and you learn all that in D2 as well. We got a literal week, you got weeks of years, you got weeks of months, you got the week, the seven year cycle. It extrapolates out, it's a pattern <clears throat> that goes <clears throat> from days to weeks to months to years, all the way out to millennia. So that's pretty, that's fascinating as well how the Bible kind of uh, the patterns like that. You can see that with three. We just came at, back from the Certainty Conference. And uh, Steve Surrett did uh, three days of teaching. Um, so that'd be three, four and a half hours of teaching just on the, the threes, the, the tabernacle and, uh, and or the temple, um, the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies, <clears throat> and all the different patterns that, that, that not all, he gave a, a plethora of different patterns uh, and Bible truths that uh, correlate to that. Um, just off of that pattern, unbelievable. Some of the things in the Bible, we really just don't understand fully how comprehensive the Bible is in regard to to the patterns that are laid out and the things uh, the, like the, the sevens, like we're just talking about the weeks, uh, the millennia, how all that lays out. It's amazing. Um, I just had, I was on online resisting the urge to get in a Twitter war last night over the King James Bible, <clears throat> and uh, I came out and. Uh, and I told Amy, I'm like, Amy, I, I just I just avoided a Twitter war. So uh, the reason I didn't get into the Twitter war um, was because I know I was just casting my pearls before swine. But um, the reason I bring that up, and we can move on to another question, but I'll just tell, finish this thought, is uh, I was, <clears throat> I was, there was a, um, a pastor who commented about the King James Bible and how many people despise the King James Bible. Like, you know, they're not mad about the NIV. They're not mad about the ESV. They're, they're, but they're upset if you hold to a King James. I mean, it's like, what's the deal? And, then, and of course, this this really pretty benign response gets a bunch of, well, I shouldn't say a bunch, gets a few knuckleheads on there um, that start sending out Amazon links to books you can read about the preface of the King James Bible and how the King James translators did not think that they translated the Word of God perfectly and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, of course, uh, I, I hope I don't know a Bible translator that thinks when they translate the Bible 
into Chichewa. I hope, I hope that Palira doesn't think that when he's done, that this is the final say. I've done the work. It's done. It is finished. I mean, of course not. No, no translator is going to be that arrogant. God forbid. Um, and that's why I wanted to get into the Twitter war with him, but I decided to hold my fire. Uh, the, my point was this, is at the end of the day, you either have uh, your, the, either we have the words of God in English or we don't. That's it. Either have it or you don't. If you have it, where are you going to find it? Of course, I'll submit to you, you have it in the King James Bible. Uh, how do I know that? It isn't because of what the King James translators said or did. or that. I mean, obviously God used them. It's because of the Bible itself. The more you study the Bible itself, it is. And I know that you know there will be some that will say, well, this is circular reasoning. Okay, I'll give you that. But do it. Study the King James Bible. See what's there. Look at the patterns. Look at everything. Examine the evidence. It is, it is self-contained. The evidence is in the Bible. It's not because of the translators, and it's not because of scholarship, although they were scholarly fellows. Uh, I'll, grant, I'll grant them that. But it isn't, it isn't in the hands of the scholars to tell me if I have my Bible. It's in the hands of God because God reserves his word. And the whole issue of preservation is lost, which is, requires faith. And that's why it is a conviction that, that someone holds, because I can't give someone faith. But you can get faith by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you study the words of God, you come to find out it is God's word. And the more you study it, and especially in the King James, you will find, wow, your mind will just explode off your shoulders because there is so much. The accuracy is unbelievable. And where you think, oh, that's an error, well, then you find, oh, that wasn't an error. I mean, it's just, and it wasn't because the King James guys were that smart. It's because God was guiding them, just like you see in Jeremiah 36. So that's a whole other discussion. I don't know why I got off on that, other than these patterns and these. When you really think about the Bible as a whole, uh, man, this is the absolute authority for truth. Maybe somebody needs to hear that tonight. I don't know. All right, let's move on to another question, um, and uh, we'll avoid Twitter wars. All right, so, because those are vain. Nobody's going to win that. I'm just going to argue. And then lost people will look at it and go, what a bunch of losers. So anyway, miss the whole point of the gospel. Anything else? All right, I'm going to ask you all a question. Yeah, go ahead, Caleb. Up, oh, got to pick up the mic. Get in the mic, right? All right. <laughs> Some of you guys are old enough to know where that's coming from. <laughs> um, it comes from Romans uh, chapter 8. And... I do have a question that I'll ask you, but it's more kind of, I guess, clarification uh-huh. uh, for me. It's verse 32. Yep. And I'll just read it, and then I'll ask you the question. Sure. It's, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? My question is, uh, this verse was referenced uh, from a friend who kind of used the said it as uh, unsaved people that God blesses, um, gives them the gift, like not a gift really, but being able to spiritually discern things like a about other people, about character, and uh, is this talking about 
Well, what exactly is this? Uh, with him also, or also freely give us all things. Mm-hmm. Does that have anything to do with being able to uh, be a good judge of other people's character, or is it talk? Is it for people that are unsaved? That's my question. I guess. That's a good question, and I and I'll give you. A, let's just okay. So how would we how would we unwrap that kind of question? I mean, in a in a just a practical sense, if someone walks up and says, "Hey, you know, Romans eight in verse thirty two is is written to lost people and it's dealing with discernment." Well, so first of all, um, Romans eight isn't written to lost people. So you you settle that first of all by context which can be set clearly in Romans chapter 1 which is important here because it is dealing with God's elect which also is a whole nother can of worms that we don't need to get into necessarily tonight but we can but um and so Romans 1 you know Paul makes it clear here so contextually if someone says that they're ignorant because of what the oh my look at that we must have a bigger question coming here around the corner thank you honey so I got a du- I got a dual-edged sword, but I got two of them, so I'm like double, you know, double-barreled. So uh, Romans is this is my so I got my Bible that I preach from, then I got my Bible that uh, I've studied my whole life. So um, so Romans one is very clear, you know. Paul there is is setting the context when he addresses this. Um, he says, "Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separating the gospel of God." Um, I'll just come cut to the chase uh, down in verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience and the faith among all nations, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's talking about all that are in Rome that have been... been now, everyone's called to be saved, but everybody who receives salvation and is a saint, right? So he's talking to believers. Um, and uh, it's interesting um, in my notes here that I got cross-references to the same chapter. So in verse 7, it says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God. And so over here in Romans eight twenty-eight, he says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, which more specifically uh, addresses what this all things is dealing with is is uh, it's it, this goes to those that are, that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. But the issue of predestination is also part of this discussion, which is a whole other set of questions that could get asked. But it says, "For whom He did foreknow, <clears throat> He al- uh, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up to uh, for us all, how shall he not with uh, him also freely give us all things? So the question here is, who's us? Uh and he's he's actually here dealing with the people who are predestined to be conformed to his image. Now this gets it's hard to see the clear teaching because there's so much false teaching around the the issue from Calvinistic perspectives. But um, this isn't dealing with God in His sovereignty, sovereignty, 
predestined some to be saved and some to be damned, which is how a lot of most of your Bible scholar types teach it. Uh, this is dealing with the reality because he's making it clear all uh, who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. We know that in Romans chapter 10, which is coming up. Uh, but he's very clear in the beginning. Everybody, God wants everybody, but not everybody gets in. Right? That's not based because that's not because God doesn't want them. It's because they choose not to. But those that do, uh, those that love God, if you love God, you keep His commandments, and you are and you are brought into the family of God. Literally, it says here, um, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Right. So back in Romans uh, chapter. Um, one in verse nine, I got two, I got them both open. This works out really good. Uh, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the son of his son that without ceasing, I mean, no, that's not it. Uh, I may have the wrong reference there. Let me look at the reference. Uh, oh, seven to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, uh, called to be saints. That's who he's talking to, people that are set apart, people that are saved by grace. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is not saying that to lost people because God is not their father, right? God is not. He's talking to people who are already saved, saints. They're set apart. Uh, he takes care of that in the introduction. Um, now, as you carry it through um, the the text, um, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 8, there is therefore now... Right now, this is Romans 8, 1. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Right? So he's talking about uh, the people who walk in the Spirit. In verse 6, I'm just kind of skipping over this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity, right? It's at war against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So Paul takes care of, of again, he clarifies. The saints are those that are, um, that are, that are in the Spirit. If you're born again, uh, and Paul is making it very clear that, that uh, you are, you have to keep reading and get to verse 8. Or verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. We are in the Spirit, because the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. So positionally, that's where we are at. If, if Christ doesn't dwell in you, then you're not His. You're not born again. He doesn't, hasn't sealed your soul till the day of redemption. You're not His. So He's just laying out the case, which is the way He, Paul does it. Very, you know, He's very much making a case. As you come on down further, He deals with this issue of adoption, spiritual and physical adoption. So he splits that hair in half, and he says in verse 11, uh, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, right, bring your mortal bodies, uh, quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. What, well, what's a mortal body? It's a body that dies. You're right. Conversely, it would be against an immortal body. We have a mortal body, and then we will have an immortal body. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Um, so he calls one celestial and one's terrestrial, right? And so our celestial body is different from our terrestrial. Our terrestrial body is mortal. Uh, our celestial body will be immortal. We get a new body. That's what 
That's what First Corinthians, Thessalonians uh, four is all about, right? In First Corinthians fifteen, we get changed in an instant. Okay, so he says uh, in verse twelve, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. He's like, don't don't be following your flesh, because positionally you're already in the spirit. All right, he doesn't say positionally, but that's in essence where we get those terminologies because. Paul's rolling down through the first, you know, eight verses of chapter eight, and you're like, man, am I saved? Am I lost? Am I saved? And he's like, hey, cool your jets, man. Positionally, you're in Christ. You're set. You're saint. You're set apart if you know Christ. Or you're not saved. I mean, you're either saved or you're not. You're either in Christ and have the Spirit or you don't. That's really what Paul's saying. And then as he rolls on down through here, he gives us a little more insight and says, um, in verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. So serve the spirit, not the flesh, right? To live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. And that's consistent with what Paul says in the New Testament, right? If you continue in sin, we're getting ready to have the Lord's Supper this weekend, right? Uh, this, this Sunday. And what's it say, right? It, some of you sleep. Why? Because you won't repent. So you literally can die. It's not eternal. You still have your salvation. But you can literally lose your life if you do not take God seriously as a child of God. Part of the judgment is, yes, you can lose your life. I mean, it can happen. Uh, and so so take it seriously. Uh, because if you want to follow death, that could end up happening to you. If you live like... if you Okay, so without getting off on another sermon. Therefore, brethren, uh, we're not debtors for the flesh, right? We want to, to the flesh... So if we live after the flesh, you'll die. But if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So, right, there's an abundant life that comes from denying our flesh, our mortifying our mortal body. And I'm not talking about asceticism, right, not beating ourselves up, but, but denying the lust of the flesh. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. All right, so we've been adopted. Now, this is dealing with the um, spiritual adoption, and then he gets to the physical adoption uh, here in just a moment. So spiritually, we've been adopted. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So he makes it clear. We're the sons of God. We're the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that you may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. Okay, getting to your question. What is all? Well, we're talking about the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Is he talking about lost people? No, he's totally talking about Christians, children of God, sons of God, to be specific. And that's unique to those in the kingdom of God. All right, so moving on. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Let me pause here. What is that talking about? Anybody? The earn, that's a weird little saying. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
this touches a little bit on what I alluded to Sunday morning in my message about uh, the. I was obviously making an, an analogy. It's, it's it's analogous. Israel has their own inheritance, but I was saying that God was taking them somewhere. He was taking them out of bondage. We're talking about bondage, taking them into, and He was preparing them for administration of government. Right. He was not just giving them administration of religion. Uh, he was he was entrusting to them the, the the book, right? God's word had already been spoken. I mean, God had spoke the world into existence. He made he showed up Christophanes. He showed up on the scene. Said, "Hey, Adam, Abraham, what's up?" He didn't say it like that, but hey, you fall asleep, I'll make my own covenant, and it'll be better than anything you'd be involved in anyway. And boom, and he I mean, Jesus is visibly appearing to people before the law of Moses, and yet God says, "Wait a minute, I'm going to give you Moses." this law on Sinai, and I'm going to give you stewardship of this and your people. You're going to have this priesthood. You're going to have this process. You're going to have these ordinances, you know, all 600 and some of them. You're going to have a tabernacle. You're going to have a government. You're going to, and then I'm going to write inside of this law, I'm going to tell you how to administrate your government because he's taking them from bondage, from shepherd slaves to being rulers not just of their own nation, but his idea was to get the truth to the world through the nation of Israel, which he will fulfill in the millennial reign. And so, and so in a similar manner, it's just a parallel, God's got, he's got plans for us children, right? Uh, because God still reserves those covenant promises to Israel. We know he's going to fulfill that. So what's he going to give us? That's a great question, right? We, our inheritance is Christ. It is Jerusalem above, the mother of us all. I mean, so we have eternity. We have heaven. We have Christ. We rule and reign with Christ. He is. We are Ruth. Uh, we are ro- ruling and reigning with our Boaz. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And so um, so we have a, a spiritual inheritance, which is, is really what he's talking about. So uh, I may, why do I bring all that up? Because I'm answering my own question. Why in the middle of this discussion do all of a sudden we start talking about the creatures? being subject to bondage and what's that all about what's paul thinking why is paul going there you got any ideas what's that say pat second corinthians five seventeen. yeah yeah second corinthians five seventeen. that's a great reference uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's good. And all things are of God that hath reconciled uh, us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we have the word, the ministry of reconciliation. That's a great reference. So Paul is talking about um, spiritual adoption. And he's getting ready to talk about, in Romans 8, physical adoption. And in the middle of that, he, squ- he squeezes in here this discussion about creation and this bondage. Not only that he's talking about us being free from bondage, but he's also saying, and, and, and just hang with me here, Caleb, because this is all actually, it'll kind of all make sense when we get back to where your, your question was, because it all does go together. All is the key word. He's saying that creation is groaning, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God, right? Um, I believe that's uh, uh, Romans 
yeah, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and, and, and uh, travail in pain together until now. Hmm. So now let me just, let's just dive a little deeper because this is Wednesday night Bible study. And let's just take this and meditate a little deeper on what we're looking at here. If you just read your Bible and get caught in some Calvinistic vortex, you're going to miss everything I'm about to say. But if you really rightly divide the Word of God, and you, I mean, it's just laying here on its face. One of the things that you notice that we've already covered over is verse 14, dealing with the sons of God. He says, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Now, how often do you see that phrase, sons of God, used in the Bible? Not a whole lot. And when it is used, who's it referencing? Angels. Fallen angels at times, yeah. Fallen angels and Christians. You can find Israel at Exodus chapter 4. We'll get to that in a, you know, a few weeks. But Exodus 4, Israel's seed is the Son of God. The Son of God. So collectively, Israel as a whole is looked at as a Son of God. So God deals with Israel as a whole unit. Now, obviously, he deals with them individually, and he sees the heart, and he sees David, and he sees... You know, we... I'm not saying God doesn't deal with individual Jews. He obviously does. But when it comes to being a son, he deals with the whole nation as a son. They're, dis- they're disciplined. I literally just watched a video today of a Jewish businessman. I liked it on Facebook. And um, he was given 10 principles. He says, the Jews are always accused of being really good in business. So I'm just going to placate that idea and give you 10 principles we were taught from youth uh, about how to, uh, and why we're good at it. And he lays them out all from the, primarily some of them were tradition, but many of them were right out of the law, the Old Testament law. And I was like listening to this thinking, dude, that is gold. I need to write this down myself. I mean, it's really good stuff. And it had to do with keeping the Sabbath. It had to do with, uh, you know, keeping a third of your money here, a third of your money here, and a third of money. Just practical Jewish stuff that they learn so that they can take care of themselves and they can continue on because God put that in them. Well, anyway, God deals with the whole nation as a son, he's given them, he chastens them collectively. They all, now, obviously, he loved Daniel. Daniel was beloved of the Lord. But yet, Daniel was still being chastened with Israel in Babylon, right? And so, God deals with them as a whole, as a son. But it's unique now for us, when we get saved, we are the sons, plural. Of God. Literally, each one of us has an identity, an individual identity, as a son of God. And we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for the things Done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Now, don't misunderstand me. We all do have our identity in the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. But individually, we give account for how we interact because we are the sons of God. There was another guy who was a son of God. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And if you go to Luke, right, you you guys have probably seen the the, uh, lineage. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 3. Um, right when you go down through the, time, the the line there, it says you get to the very end of Luke 3, talking about lineages. We were just looking at uh, Noah a moment ago. It gets down to verse 38 of Luke 3, um, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the what? Son of God. Son of God. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the son of God. Yeah, that's why he's the last not the second. He's the 
we always say second Adam. He is technically the second Adam, but he's the last Adam. There's no one coming after Jesus. That's, I mean, he's the last, he is the son of God. The first one fell. Say, oh, that's blasphemy, calling Adam the son of God. No, that's what Luke says. Before he fell, he was, he was a bag of chips, man. I mean, he was, he was sinless, son of God. God created him to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. All right, so, oh, now you were getting somewhere. So think about that. So what did Adam have dominion over? The fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the whole planet, right? He was large and in charge. Even after the fall, did God take that back? No. Think about what God says to, to, uh, this is where the tension comes. What's he say about Satan? He is the prince and power of the earth. He didn't take back that dominion. He says, Adam has the earth, you have the air. And he's like, I want the earth. Well, you'll get that at the midpoint of the tribulation, pal, but just hold on, right? I mean, he's like, listen, Adam has this. So he goes about to what? Deceive him. Or, well, he didn't deceive him. Beguile Eve, Adam, and Adam gives up the farm. All right, so, so we, have a, we have a big diabolical uh, collision, and it affects everything in creation. And so what Paul is saying is with our adoption, right? And I've had people say, well, we ain't adopted. We're sons of God. We're born again. Well, we are born again. But give God a little grace to use a couple different metaphors for our spiritual new birth, right? We are adopted. God helped me wire that in my head once I adopted my son because when you adopt a child, there's a certain, you know, biologically they're not yours. But what's cool is once they get in Christ, you all have the same father, and biologically you will be together. That's cool. And uh, I never thought of that till after I adopted. And I was like, whoa, someday Sam and I will literally share the same genetics. I mean, we do through Adam, but once we will also do that in Christ because we will be changed into his image. You know, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we see him, we'll be like him. Yes, ma'am. What's that? No. I did a good imitation of Peter Ruckman, but no, I was just, no, no, it wasn't Pete Ruckman. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I get the sentiment, but you got to just take the Bible with what it says. All right, so that's why in verses 20 through 23, as we're talking about, and this really does get back to the answer in your question. I wouldn't take this much time on it. So from the very opening of Romans 1, we know that Paul is also talking about how messed up things are. What's he say? When we get off into homosexuality, and all this other stuff, we also worship animals, right? He gets off in, it seems like he's on a tangent, doesn't it? In Romans chapter 1, uh, back there, he says, uh, he changed the, in uh, Romans one twenty three. Paul says, professing them, 22 says, professing themselves to be wise. Now, uh, by the way, Caleb, if you want to direct your friends to where he is talking about lost people, you can take him to Romans chapter 1. Uh, but it says, uh, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image, which is idolatry, made like to corruptible man. Right? Worshiping men. And to birds 
and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Because of this idolatry, warfare, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. Which is God saying, I just went ahead and let them do what they were going to do. And then they, they get to receive the recompense of their error, which was meat. This is what they deserved. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the reprobate, to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. All right, well, that explains our, our lost friends, that they don't get all things. They get that. That's what very clearly is defined for us. The lost people get the, the vile imaginations of their heart if they don't repent, if they don't, if they don't receive the love of the truth. Eventually, God will give them up. And you, can start, you can see that in our society. You can see that happening before our very eyes. All right, so what's that got to do with Romans chapter 8? Well, I'm glad you asked. So in verses 20 through 24 here, or 23, um, he brings up this, this issue of creation groaning and travailing in pain. What are they looking for? Well, they're looking for us to be redeemed. We still, whether we do good or bad, whether we worship, or God lays it out in Romans 1, the problem with man is they don't have their proper, they're worshiping creation instead of the creator. And they're, they're messing it all up. It's upside down and backwards. So what makes it right side up? It's being in Christ, being a son of God. So when it talks about all things, he's talking about restoring the order that was set forth by the son, Adam, that was lost by the son, Adam, and then restored by the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam. So when we get saved, we are now sons of God. We are the children of God. And all of a sudden he brings up this creation groaning business. Why? Because even the animal kingdom is going to be thankful. <laughs> this earth is going to be thankful when Jesus returns and we are in our rightful place. And also Israel and also the Gentile nations and all of those. But ultimately it's going to be us, the sons of God, that are ruling and reigning with Christ. All right, so um, so let's finish this off then. And so uh, it says in verse, uh, that's what it says in verse 23. And not only they... But ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown in our, within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. He's like, what, we're like, what adoption? Well, he's like, I'm glad you asked. Right? He's, he's a lawyer. He's writing this out. He's like, adoption of your body. I've already laid out at the beginning of Romans 8, positionally, you're already in Christ. If you're not his, if you're not the Spirit of God, you're none of his. I mean, either you're, you're in Christ or you're not. You have the Spirit or you don't. And because you have the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, so you're not obligated to fulfill the flesh, so don't do that. Because positionally, you've been adopted. Spiritually, you are His child. But physically, the second phase of this adoption has not yet taken place. So you, along with the kingdom, uh, the, the animal kingdom, 
are waiting for the redemption of the purchased possession, which is not just our soul, but also this body. So who among us doesn't groan daily about, oh, I hate my flesh. Daily we're hindered by this thing. We're in bondage just like the creation to this endemic nature until until the resurrection, praise God. And we get to shed this old carcass and enter into glory. So, for we are saved by hope uh, that is seen, not hope. I'm sorry, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we if we hope for that we see not, then we then do we with uh, patience wait for it. Likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we don't even know how to pray as effectively as we need to, but the Spirit of God helps us, intercedes for us. Right? That's where we get intercessory prayer. And uh, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now Paul addresses this also, verses 26 through 27, in, uh, in Corinthians, where he says, Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Right? And in that, in that context, Paul is saying that, um, you all know my mind tonight, I'm giving you my mind, and I might know your mind or a portion of your mind, whatever you're communicating back, and we know each other's mind. And then he, he doesn't, uh, then he turns that thing, he says, yeah, but you have the mind of the Spirit. What? What? Okay, so what he's saying is that, what, you know what, when I'm up here talking, I'm having another conversation you don't know, Right? And as you're listening, you're having side conversations in your head and, and you're wandering off and other thoughts going, when's he going to get done with this? And what time is it? And man, I shouldn't have had that for dinner or whatever, you know. <laughs> what is that? That's your, that's the mind, that's your mind. That, that inner, that inner voice that nobody else can hear. He says, that's the mind of the spirit. You have that in you. I mean, that's how intimate we are with God. We have the mind of the spirit. My daughter was just sharing with me last night. The Bonison sent her a card, and she rebuked me. It was wonderful. And uh, so she, they send her a card, and John 14, they, they give her the spirit, you know, the, the promise of the spirit that Jesus is praying there in John. Uh, did I say 17? I think it's John 14. But anyway, he's, he's uh, uh, where he says, I'll send the comforter. Is that 14 or 17? 14. Yeah, John 14. And he says, I'm going to, I'll send the, the comforter, right? And that passage there, and he shall be with you. He shall be in you. And she's like, man, Dad, I just read this card because when she was at the hospital, it was she was a little out of it. This is so wonderful. She was. I, I wish you would open this up and read it to me by the bedside. You were you were a bit. And I'm like, praise God. I thank you. I'm glad you love the word, and I'm convicted. I wish I would have done it too. Now, daughter. So anyway, anyway, I was really I was actually very encouraged by that. Uh, and then she had me, she kind of asked me a little bit more about the passage. Like, what does it mean by this and that? And I was telling her, well, you know what? The Spirit will teach us all things whatsoever he has said to us. And he teaches us his word. You know, I was running that thing down. But you know what we were talking about was we have the mind of the Spirit. I mean, it's the inner thoughts, not the outer thoughts. That's really what I'm trying to say. And why is that important? Because that's that's what Paul's talking about here. 
that's really what he's, he's saying. He's like, man, uh, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself uh, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God, which is, of course, the Word of God. And now we get to the passage everybody knows. And, which this is just an and. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now that we've gotten this far, we know, uh, Caleb, this is certainly dealing with the saints. This is not dealing with lost people. Lost people are addressed in Romans chapter 1, not in Romans chapter 8. And he goes on to say, um, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. So this is dealing with, you know, conforming, uh, not salvation. So many people make this passage about your salvation. Oh, he foreknew. Well, that's not even what we're talking about in Romans 8. We're talking about people being changed, being conformed, going from a spiritual adoption and a physical adoption that has not quite happened. Right? So he's talking about a, a, a transformation. He foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what am I going to look like when I get that second adoption? Pray tell. What do you think? Right, Christ. I'm going to be conformed to his image. What is the context? The context is not a, our spiritual adoption, which happens the day we get saved. It is our physical adoption, predestination. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of God. Go back to Genesis and study the difference between the image and likeness. The Bible is very clear. I believe in Galatians or Colossians. Jesus Christ is the express image of God. You run that Bible, that phrase through the Bible, you're not going to miss it. The image of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the express image of God. What are we conformed to? The image of God. We will be changed into his image. You can't get any more clear than that. We're predestined to be conformed to his image. Yeah, but the Bible says you'll be known as you're known. Yeah, we will be. Uh, but we're also going to be conformed to his image. And so that was lost in the garden. It's restored in the gospel. And so we get the image of God when we get saved. That's why in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came and went. God is dealing uniformly with Israel as a nation. But us, we have a unique inheritance. We literally inherit Christ, the image of God in us. And we are conformed to his image. We are crazy threat to the devil. And we don't even know it. We have no idea. You've heard of potential energy. That's what we are. And most Christians have no concept. I don't even have really, let me be totally, let me be transparent. I don't want to get arrogant. I don't even really understand what I'm talking about here. (laughs) I'll be frank with you. The the, the change that's coming is so significant, I don't think I can fully grasp. I'm talking about it. I have conceptually understanding it, right? But when when I'm changed, uh, man, it's, and the impact that has on creation Behold, 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons, plural, of God. Right? 
The world doesn't even understand that. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 3. The world doesn't know us. It doesn't know Jesus. It doesn't know you. I'll just, I'm going to butcher this up, so let me read it. I don't want to butcher the word. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, colon, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, uh, by the way, which is also used in Romans, beloved, go back to Romans chapter 1, and verse uh, down there around verse 7, um, and Romans chapter 8, he also uses the word beloved. Uh, I believe there, I'm looking for it. But anyway, I know it's in chapter 1. Anyway, beloved... Now, now, are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear, Romans chapter 8, what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. All right, so, moreover, chapter 8 and verse 30, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called... Then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. We will be glorified. What shall we say to these things? I'm glad. I don't know. What should we say? Well, I'll tell you what to say, Paul says. If God be for us, who can be against us? Is there anything that can be against us? Not really. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him... Also freely give us all things, getting to your question, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Uh, Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, uh, or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. All right? He's delivered us up. Uh, up he's delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with uh, him also freely give us all things? All right? So um, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor creature, shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so we know that Jesus Christ, when it's all said and done, now I'm going to go to Ephesians, um, talking about the same thing. He hath, uh, Ephesians 1, 4, it says, well, start in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There's your short answer. It's Ephesians 1 and verse 3. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians is like a Cliff Notes version of Romans. And so I took all that long thing and just boiled it down to one verse. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I should be more specific. Um, in Christ, I added Jesus, sorry. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. <gasps> oh no, Brian, what do you do with that? Before the foundation of the world, he had a plan to fulfill his will with the sons of God. It's not that scary. 
um, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children. We just saw that over in Romans 8. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And by the way, when you go to Romans chapter, we're in chapter 8. When you go to Romans 9 and 10, you start seeing about seeing and understanding the fullness of the Gentiles become in. God is filling up sons of God that are replacing the fallen sons of God. And the kingdom of God is being populated with sons of God until the fullness of the Gentile come in is predestinated. Then he goes back to the covenant with Moses and Israel and the promise of physical seed indefinitely populating the planet forever. or the, Not just the planet, but the universe. Um, moving on. Uh, and so in Ephesians 1, uh, he says... To, uh, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of, the, uh, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Again, there's the word beloved. Um, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in, here comes all wisdom and prudence. Right? He's given us all things, and he's and it's, uh, we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So in a nutshell um, there, Caleb, I would reference, cross-reference uh, Romans 8 to Ephesians chapter 3 and focus on our inheritance is Christ. Our governance is creation. And the whole world, the creation itself is waiting. Our own bodies are waiting. We have everything in Christ. We we don't need to we don't need a planet we don't need a universe we need Jesus, that is our inheritance as the bride of Christ. It's unique uh, to any other dispensation, and the bride of Christ is unique. The beloved saints of of God, uh, the church age is unique to every other age. So um, so anyway, I just I just kind of I, I would just kind of I don't expect your friends to gather that. If I was dealing with your friends thinking that they're lost or lost people get all things, I would say what the lost person gets is to believe their own lie if they don't repent. That's Romans chapter 1. If they don't repent and receive the truth, then they they unfortunately get all the lies that they want until they destroy themselves. And so God loves them so much that he gave his own son to be the propitiation for their sin so they don't have to believe the lie. But if they choose to receive not the, and they go ahead and have pleasure therein and they just ignore the truth, then, well, they'll reap what they sow, and that will be perdition. But the concept, I don't know, did I answer your question? The concept that someone would say that they, that uh, Romans 8, uh-huh, yeah, no, please. They want you on the mic, I think. Okay. Is that better? Yeah. Oh, we're, I mean, see all the heads in the booth looking over like <laughs> angels in heaven um, <laughs> standing at the banisters of heaven. <laughs> so, I mean, you answered my question by whenever my friend referenced this verse, she, and I was like, I'm like, she told me Romans eight. Oh yeah, you know Romans eight. I love that verse. You know it talks about. And I'm like, I didn't. It was in the middle of a conversation, so I'm like, okay. But I, 
just keep it in the back of my head, like I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look at that. And she just mentioned, I, she took it out of context, is what happened. Right. Sure. And I, I believe that she is saved, but that's not. A lot of people, well, a lot of people take Romans eight twenty eight out of context. Yeah. And they, you know, the the famous verse is all things work together for good. And Cammy yeah. was alluding to that Sunday, you know. She kind of, at the end there, just kind of stopped. But I know what she was thinking, which was, it's not true. It's to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So it's not true that all things work together for good. And that probably is maybe the same line of logic your friend was going down. Because it's it's quoted as though that is the truth. I mean, I know when I was lost, I heard that a lot. All things work together for good. How many of you have heard that? All things work together for good. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like a, what is that, uh, karma, yin and yang or whatever. You know, it's all just going to work out. Well, actually, that's not what the Bible teaches. Love is the key. If you love me, you keep my commandments. It didn't work out good for Adam and Eve because they didn't love God. And the only reason their sin was covered is because God painted a picture of what love looked like, which was sacrifice for sin. And he, an innocent animal died to cover their sin, which is a picture of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So love becomes defined by Jesus Christ, who himself demonstrates love for the Father. The Father demonstrates love for the world. So you guys know all that. So but that's, that plays into Romans 8.28 for, you know, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So you don't get, you're not called according to his purpose uh, if you're not a saint. There's a call to salvation. One of the one of the really good ways to break down Romans, actually in an outline form, is dealing with Romans one and two with salvation. So salvation, sanctification, glorification. That is a great way to break down the, the whole book in a really simple way. And it's also a good way to even see this topic because uh, all are called to salvation, but you can't be sanctified if you're not saved. So that's saints. Saints are sanctified, and then he gets into the issue of sanctification. As we talked about in Romans 8, is a lot of details about sanctification. Then we get to Romans chapter 9, he, he starts talking about Israel and uh, what's going on with Israel. What about Israel? What, if this is true of us, after Romans 8, and this is true of what's going to happen with creation, well, what about Israel? What about their promises? Well, then he starts laying that out and letting Israel know, uh, uh, especially those coming up in the tribulation that, that you know, kind of get awoken by the 144,000 or the two witnesses or whatever, they'll be reading through Romans and really get it. Like, oh, now this is what happens. All right, fullness of the Gentiles, da 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 da, and then they'll they'll you know that remnant will get on board and uh, and they'll finish up that part of the Bible. But anyway, uh, for us, it's a dual application, and so we understand because of the Spirit of God, the mind of Christ, that. Uh, you know, God is not finished with Israel, but today they're enemies of the of the cross. So all of that revelation is revealed, uh, and it's dealing with sanctification and how God's setting apart his people, whether it be the church or the Jews, you know, and then we're all headed to glorification. Hallelujah to you. And so it gets real practical as well in the in the and functional at the end of Romans on how to apply that. So um Romans is a wonderful book. It is it's wordy, man. It's it's uh It'll twist up your head. You gotta, you gotta really meditate on it. Yes, sir. You better put him in the mic. We're about done here, so we have to end on this path. Yeah. Whenever you follow that term uh, in that phrase in the Bible, all things, 
as pertaining to us, you know, um, in the Bible, it's it's a future reference. It's a mm-hmm. reference to what we gain Inherit. in our inheritance in the next life in Christ. Yes, yes, right? that is a, a, absolutely valid and true, which really ties us into Ephesians chapter 1 there, all things, and even talks about Jesus, all things are put down. I mean, it does directly tie to our future inheritance. That's a good point. It's not talking about today, a name it, claim it gospel, you know, because there are people that would, you know, uh, who's that big, that tall, he's a, uh, well, there's a bunch of them out there, but name it, claim it pastors. Uh, got a really deep voice. Not Vody Bachman. Um, T.G. Jakes, right? Yeah. Good job, Chris. He's got the mind of the spirit. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got T.G. T.D. Jakes and guys like that out there. You know, you got all things. That big, deep voice. God has blessed you with all things. And, man, it just makes you feel like warm as apple pie, man. You're like, yeah, yeah, I want all things. Now, that we're not talking about that. We're talking about what's coming, not what we have. That's a really good point. Good point, Pat. In First Corinthians, it tells us that he puts all things in subjection to him, that, mm-hmm. that in the end, that he might uh, fulfill, fulfill all, things. all things. He fulfills in all things. Yeah, that reference is that? Uh, I think twenty six. Uh, twenty eight. Yeah, and when that's the one I was thinking was in Ephesians, and when. All, yeah, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, getting back even to creation, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, and that God that God may be all in all. That's actually, uh, in Ephesians, I probably got it in my reference if I use my other Bible. That's the one I was actually thinking of with Ephesians 1.3. So Ephesians, for reference there, Ephesians 1.3 and 1 Corinthians 15.28. Those are great. Those three cross references are just they just go together with those all things. Yeah, because there's a day when Jesus Christ steps back into the Godhead. He's subdued all things, and and then and that's a whole other discussion. But and then what happens on in creation and all that? But that's when we go into the eternity future because He's all in all. And so good, Pat. That's an excellent way to conclude that. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28. Yeah, that that's that's good to know the, the context of that. Well, I didn't get to my other question, so that's all, it's, no, it's just no problem. You guys can answer it very easily anyway. So, all right, well, let's have a word of prayer. I didn't use my marker board. Sorry, John. I pray your labor was not in vain in the Lord, brother. All right. <laughs> well, let's uh, stand together in a prayer. We'll get ready to depart. Um you know, I think most of us are home folk and we know the Lord Jesus. So if you're watching and you don't know Jesus and you find yourself in Romans chapter 1, we want to invite you to a personal relationship with Jesus. He wants to know you in a very personal way. And uh, he wants to give you the mind of the Spirit. He wants you to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he wants you to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so uh, we want to be here to to, to avail uh, any questions you might have and, and show you in the Bible how you can know that you have eternal life. And you can know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're watching this, you can email us at contact at hbfcast.org and we will uh, respond to you personally, individually, and privately. So contact at hbfcast.org. For the rest of us, I pray that you're encouraging the Lord tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're